Welcome to the sixth episode of Earwig Serials. I'm your host, Tyler McNamara, and for the next 34 episodes of Season 1, I'll be reading from my book, The Mother of Darkspace. Previously, on The Mother of Darkspace. I'm excited to see the building, and I guess a little anxious to meet Evermore. He's a normal guy, don't let the stories get to you. Oh god, right, Ray said, remembering. A year into his house arrest, Evermore had called James Jansen looking for help. And Jansen had gone to the National News, telling them about Evermore's plans to build a bomb that could destroy an entire planet. Evermore's house and lab were raided. His computers and hard drives were seized, but they never found any evidence of such a bomb. Ray smiled and returned with a story of her own. There was the time he gave that huge grant to those ghost hunters, and his stock tanked and his board almost rioted. Dr. Kander, I'm so sorry, she began. Now I feel as if I've been untruthful. I never said that I turned Evermore down just that I didn't give him an answer. Don't be sorry. I know all about Evermore and his antics. He is a man constantly looking for opportunities to leverage the situation. Also, HR wouldn't have been able to warn you there's a good chance he's interested in more than just your synthetic bioengineering skills. I wouldn't be surprised if Evermore will try to use you as the new face of Evermore Industries. Not because you're a talented scientist, but just because you're a woman. Take some time to think about your next move. I believe you're due for a week here at the Terradome, Please, make your decision before that week is up. And now for Chapter 5, Evermore. Ray. Ray sat in a small waiting room outside a labyrinth of cubicle partitions that defined the boundaries of the Human Resources Department. She watched in her best not-interested posture as the three HR personnel went through the contract for ID badge exchange and knew she wouldn't be getting anywhere without a badge. And she wouldn't get a badge without signing a contract. But who's to stop me from going to listen to Evermore? Evermore's new here, and the only one watching is the elevator. Ashley said it detected my Omni, so theoretically I'll be invisible. I just won't be able to control the elevator. A vaguely familiar-looking black man in his early twenties finished with his rep, stood, and walked toward the elevator. He wore heavy steel rings in each ear, a pair of thick-rimmed glasses, and a hooded designer lab coat. There were still people who chose glasses over corrective surgery, but she hadn't seen any on Mars. She wondered if they could be designer-augmented reality lenses, but when he got closer, she could see that they lacked the telltale glow. She quickly turned off her Omni, and as he passed her, she followed him in. He clearly noticed her, but was more focused on fixing his ID badge and whatever thoughts he had about meeting Evermore than accusing her of, what, I'm not even doing anything wrong. This is just an experiment. They returned to the lobby in silence, but while he met his assistant who led him down to B3, Ashley was nowhere to be found. After watching two other assistants guide their principal researchers into the elevator and send them down to B3, she got fed up and followed the third set to the elevator. As she passed the blonde receptionist, she said, If Ashley ever shows up, tell him I've already gone. On B3, there was a semicircle of ten folding chairs set up at one end of a multi-sport court, which just looked like a big room with faux wood flooring. All of the lab heads were dressed to impress in their unique designer lab suits. Ray scanned the faces forevermore, but he wasn't there. But she did discover that many of the lab heads were remarkably younger than she had expected. She guessed the mean age to be late 30s, early 40s, and noticed that the length of their facial hair correlated to their age. Those in their early 30s had a small hairy patch under their chin or extra long sideburns. At 40, it was worn shaggy around the mouth, and by 50, it had covered the whole face and was starting to have some length to it. Ray wasn't the only one without facial hair, but she was the only woman. As she approached the group of eight men chattering away and exchanging contact info, they quieted slightly, and she could hear her name within the murmur. She ignored them and coolly walked past to sit in a cold, polycarbon chair at the far end of the semicircle. 
As she waited, Ray wondered if the others were as skeptical as she felt, but she couldn't decide if Evermore's odd choice of venue made her more curious or doubtful. Five minutes before eleven, the elevator doors parted. Everyone in the room seemed to hold their breath at once, and release it once they saw that the person who rolled into the room was not Evermore. He was a Norwegian built like a cheese sample, a white cube of cheddar on a toothpick. He had a high forehead that ended in a thinning, medium-length cut of platinum blonde hair, and a chiseled jaw outlined by a chin-strap beard. Good morning, he said, with only a slight accent as he rolled across the room in a skeletal assist chair. Bands of cushioned armature ran down each of his legs, connecting him to a self-balancing two-wheeled apparatus that held him in a standing position. He crossed the room to the chair-free gap beside Ray and sat down. The apparatus bent his knees and lowered his ankles to the ground while positioning the wheels behind him, forming a tripod. A full-bearded man sitting on Ray's left leaned around her and asked, You're Asbjorn Breivik? That's right, said the Norwegian. I'm Dr. Theodore Giordano. It's such a pleasure to meet you. I was at your solar station last year. What a wonderful piece of design. He offered his hand, and when Asbjorn shook it, the old Italian's arm brushed across Ray's chest. Ray scooted her chair back and said, Excuse me, that started to accuse him, but finished with courtesy. Before the encounter could escalate, it was interrupted by a chorus of vibrating electronic cicadas followed by the fluttering wing beats of lab coats being flipped open. Ray pretended to check her Omni's dark screen as she read over Giordano's shoulder. E. Evermore. Change of location. Meet on B4. Poolside. No need for swimming apparel. She remembered Ashley's strange reaction when she asked if the meeting was by the pool. He knew Evermore was going to switch locations, Ray thought. I wonder what else he knows. A few of the scientists shot each other annoyed looks, but nonetheless stood. One murmured, Nonsense. We're all here. Couldn't he just come to us? He wants to show off his wealth, one of them surmised. A shorter man, who Ray recognized from the flight to Nile Fosse, said, Evermore's just trying to be different. While they each reacted individually, they moved toward the elevator as a group. Ray forced herself to be objective and became amused by the whole thing. So what if we have to change locations? He's the one paying us. So what if he decides to waste our time? He has already proven he can afford the best facility and the best scientists. He probably just wants us all to arrive at the same time. Ray imagined the awkward wait and the rolling lines of small talk as each person arrived separately, but then she decided that all could be avoided by being the last to show up. Stepping into the crowded elevator, Ray noticed a small plaque which read, Max load 15 persons. On a normal day, six would have felt like a crowd, but no one wanted to be left behind. All eyes were on her as she entered, and after she turned her back, she could still feel them scrutinizing her and worse. She was the only woman, again, and again her options were to ignore the scent of testosterone that filled the elevator like the rotten egg stink of a gas leak, or fight them all. I can't castrate the population of Mars, but I could cut off my left breast. Then at least they would recognize me as an Amazon. Someone behind her touched her shoulder lightly and said, Hi, I'm Hugo Voss. Ray turned her head and made a flash judgment. He wasn't networking. He was hitting on her. She turned back to face the doors. In the reflection, she watched his smile fall from his face. I don't believe we've met, he tried again. The doors opened, and a humid breath poured into the cramped elevator. Dr. Rachel Dahlia, Evermore said, as if he were happy to see her. He reached out his hand and their eyes locked. So glad you could make it in time for opening day. I trust you had a pleasant journey from Casma Australia? His green eyes, which seemed intent on piercing the mystery of the infinite unknown, gazed out from beneath bushy black eyebrows. Her body relaxed as she stepped toward him. He shook her hand warmly and she felt a spark, a tiny electric shock. 
She was starstruck, for sure, but there was more. Evermore wasn't just regurgitating some phony introduction. He had asked her an honest question, recognizing her, and knew her. It was fine, thanks. She forced herself not to say how honored she felt. He gestured toward the narrow patio between the wall and the edge of the pool where an eleven- or twelve-year-old boy stood waiting and turned to greet the next doctor. Dr. Voss. It's a threshold, Ray realized. Being first allowed him to welcome us into the space. But holding it here, she still didn't know what that was supposed to achieve. There were two rectangles drawn in crayon on the white tile wall as big as the Cloud Nine chalkboards her professors had used at UMARS. As she approached the rectangles, the young boy looked at her, wrote something on his Omni, and looked back up to the quickly approaching Dr. Voss. She remembered the boy from the boarding area at the centrifuge station on Phobos during her last flight back from the South Pole, but had assumed he was traveling with the older couple she had labeled as tourists. His ID badge said Samuel Resnick. This is the Samuel that replaced Ashley? I'll give you the benefit of the doubt evermore, but you must know how bad this looks. Samuel caught her staring and gave her a curt nod in greeting. His skin is perfect, she thought. You wait, Samuel. Puberty is just around the corner. In her peripheral vision, she saw Hugo Voss approaching her again. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have touched you in the elevator. Honestly, I just wanted to introduce myself. I never... It's fine, she cut him off. In the past, she used to explain that being on Mars felt like being surrounded by hungry predators all the time. During her freshman year at UMARS, she had tired of being prey and decided to train them. Within a week, she had a retinue of men jumping through hoops at the chance of a date. But the problem they presented was too easily solved, and she became bored after half a semester. Friends? Hugo Voss extended his hand. For a moment, she considered training him, but she could tell he was a five-minute mystery at best. She ignored his hand and said, Please stand somewhere else. After Evermore had welcomed the final doctor into the pool area, he approached the crudely drawn whiteboards, and the doctors formed a tight semicircle around him. For the first time, Ray realized what Evermore was wearing under his old off-white lab coat. Mismatched tube socks sprouted from warm sheepskin slippers and snuck under the elastic ankle bands of a pair of gray sweatpants. There was a mustard stain on his left thigh, and tucked into the waistband was a white, honestly it was gray, t-shirt with hints of yellowish sweat stains around the neck. The worn lab coat had mysterious bulges in each of the pockets, but the only visible item was an eight-pack of crayons in his breast pocket. Ray forgot all the reasons she had risked her career to come here, and decided to go back to Candor and Jansen. Frankly, Doc, I'm disappointed, she imagined telling him. I came here expecting a genius with his shit together, and what I see is a rich jackass in the accoutrements of a midlife crisis cliché. In her imagination, he turned his piercing green eyes on her and answered, do you imagine I had the attention and funds to create the biggest building in Nile Terradome, but somehow forgot about appearances when I got dressed this morning? Do you think I can't afford nicer clothes, or that I don't care how I look? Do you even notice my new haircut? She had. Then what are you trying to communicate? Without so much as a sign from Evermore, the quiet side conversations died down until there was complete silence. Samuel unfolded the only chair which Evermore sat in and crossed his legs. The semicircle of eleven scientists standing around him shifted from foot to foot awkwardly. Evermore allowed the tension to build, but the look on his face seemed just as expectant as those waiting for him. Is this some kind of role reversal? You sit while we all stand over you, dressed in our expensive suits while you're in the outfit of a retired bachelor? Maybe you don't want us to see a genius. You don't want the pedestal we've put you on. She looked at him and for the first time saw beyond the stories, beyond the headlines, beyond her own expectations and looked at a man. Just a man in his late fifties with dark green eyes, a fresh haircut, and a second chance to do something meaningful. 
She imagined that knowing hint of a smile to be saying, Forget it all. Forget who you expect me to be and imagine, for a moment, the weight of what you expect me to achieve. It's all too high, and we can't start there. Ray looked down at Evermore, so calm and collected sitting there. You're a rocket about to launch. How can you possibly be so calm? Are you really that confident? Evermore ran a hand through his short salt and pepper hair and said, Why are we here? Ray had to force herself not to raise her hand and shout out the answer, because this is the lowest floor of the building and we, as a team, have to start at the bottom. When no one risked an answer, Evermore followed it with another question. Why does Evermore Industries exist? The black man she had followed into the elevator spoke up without raising a hand. According to the mission, EI is dedicated to the future of humanity. Well, you are accurate as always, Ariel. Those are just words. Ray realized why he looked so familiar. Ariel was the lead programmer designer behind the Hakaru app. Just words, Evermore repeated. What has Evermore Industries actually done? What has it built or designed or discovered? A Norwegian raised his hand, but Evermore cut him off. Not yet, Asbjorn. He opened a pocket and took out an old TV remote from the 20s. He pressed the largest circular button in the center of the remote, and their omnis, all at once, beeped a loss of signal alert. It was a chilling noise that made Ray feel stranded and alone every time she heard it. The sound was followed by each doctor pulling out their omni and staring at the no-signal icon in disbelief. Ray resisted the urge, as she knew her omni was still off. You are all old enough to remember what this is, Evermore said, holding up the remote. It's so strange that we ever made a device that only had one function, to control a TV. Even more bizarre is that that function only worked on one device. Obviously, it's not a TV remote any longer. A clever young man named Ashley took out its guts and replaced them with an omni-jammer. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider following me on Twitter at Tyler R. McNamara, M-C-N-A-M-A-R-A, and using the hashtag M-O-D-S-Book. You can learn more about the book project at earwigpublishing.com or on Facebook at Earwig Publishing. Earwig Serials is supported by you listeners. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider becoming a monthly supporter and gain access to bonus content at patreon.com slash motherofdarkspace. Or, if you'd like to make a single offering, visit paypal.me slash earwigpublishing. Finally, I'd like to thank the artist's silent partner for the use of their song, Frequency. Now, the second half of episode six. I appreciate your willingness to meet me in this unorthodox setting, and in answer to the question, why are we here? Truth be told, this is the only location in the building where I could jam your omnis to prevent them from sending or receiving data. Dr. Evermore, you are a puzzle more interesting than any Hakaru I will ever play. Evermore stuffed the jammer into one pocket and took a box of crayons out of another. This is the only level where the Martian porcelain walls were left exposed, he said, dumping two crayons into his hand before closing the box and putting it away. The rectangles and crayons finally made sense. Of course, Ray thought, the jammer would break an Omniwatch whiteboard. Evermore held a red crayon in his left hand and a blue in his right, stood and approached the white tile wall. I have come to believe that when my mind is solely accommodated in one hemisphere, I invite unoriginality into the other. Just as electricity arcs between two poles, Evermore's right and left hands simultaneously, awkwardly, drew plus and minus symbols. When your cerebral hemispheres are alternately utilized, an arc of creativity flashes across the gap. His hands got in each other's way as he drew opposite arcs of wax lightning between the symbols. Please, utilize this facility in whatever method you choose, 
so that you remain dynamic and creative. The endeavor that we attempt requires only those two things, vibrancy and creativity. I'll repeat myself. Be aware of existing within a singular mindset. Take risks, balance your extremes, and together we will arc across the void between speculation and actualization. The diatribe received blank stares, and the unanswered question, what does EI do, what are we doing here, still clung to the group like a wet bathing suit. Evermore Industries is a sole proprietorship, owned and funded by me, and through the support of anonymous investors. What you don't know is that our goal is to create a vessel capable of transgalactic travel at faster-than-light speeds. There were grimaces and skeptical looks between the doctors, but nothing close to what Ray would have expected from a group of highly educated scientists. She wanted to bark a belligerent, What? But the fear of standing out and looking foolish held her back. The moment passed, and Evermore continued. As you are well aware, this is a feat that physically cannot be done, even if we were to find exotic materials that could be accelerated to the speed of light. The stray hydrogen atoms in the void of space would have the relative energy and effect of running headlong into a large hadron collider. And yet, here we are. Maybe you're waiting for some explanation or demonstration to change your mind. Some magic show revealing how I plan to bend the laws of the known universe to allow a vessel to access distant star systems in a matter of days rather than centuries. Maybe you even assume that to convince our investors I must have given them some shred of evidence. And indeed, I must have. Evermore carefully examined the crowd, his eyes conveying an innuendo to no one in particular. The group had begun to look suspicious and impatient. But perhaps, perhaps there is something, some yet-to-be-discovered mystery of the universe that will allow us to succeed. Isn't that assumption the same force that has driven innovation for thousands of years? No one answered him. Evermore continued, In spite of the fact that I wholeheartedly agree with you, FTL, faster-than-light travel, is merely speculation on a scale of supreme naivety. I expect us to one day reach some Goldilocks planet and some distant star system. Not our children or our grandchildren. Us. We will reach that planet. To answer my own question, the reason we are here today is to begin that search. Whether you believe it to be possible or not is irrelevant. I believe that anything can be achieved with either unlimited time or unlimited funds. In spite of the fact that we have neither, I still expect the impossible from each of you. An older man whom Ray recognized from the cover of Speculative Science spoke up. So if it's impossible, why don't we focus our efforts on something possible? Evermore held out his crayon. Building a car from a crayon is impossible. FTL is only impossible in that we cannot create it with the tools and truths we currently possess. Therefore, it remains speculation until it can be proven impossible. The man snapped, there's plenty of proof, and the question still stands, what are we all doing here? I'll show you. With his left hand, Evermore wrote tools on the wall in red crayon, and with his other hand, he wrote truths in blue a shoulder's width to the right. He then, with both hands at once, drew two circles around the words. When he had finished, the two circles had a gap in between them the width of his hand. Evermore pulled out a third crayon and wrote, FTL between the circles in violet. This is a map, a diagram of our current world. These two circles, tools, and truths are approximate representations of everything humans have created, built, or designed, and every idea or concept we have observed, felt, measured, or somehow unanimously agreed belongs in reality. You'll note that neither of these circles are big enough to encompass FTL. Some of you will be focusing your efforts to extend what we know, or the current truth of our reality. He drew a series of lines stemming from the blue truths circle like spider legs, and labeled them with numbers and the rest of you will be focusing on designing tools to both measure and manipulate our new truths. 
He drew more red lines and numbered them. When each of us has taken our specific project to its fullest capacity, we will have extended the circles of possibility to encompass our vision. He connected the dots at each of the tips of the spider legs, drawing a bigger circle around both the tools and the truths circles, and now both circles were large enough that they encompassed FTL. As he was numbering the departments in either the tools or truths circles, Ray noticed that Lab 7 was listed in both. Evermore continued to speak for what could have been half an hour or two and a half hours. He talked about various aspects of his vision, how, down the road, each of them could be running their own branch of Evermore Industries. He addressed the fact that, on the whole, they were a younger crowd than would usually be hired to run a lab. He called Kander and Jensen the kings of scientific growth, and said that their subjects would never risk presenting an idea beyond the king's comprehension. I will challenge your ideas, he told them, but I will not behead you. I recognize that you are my heirs, and invite you to usurp me with your idealism, your curiosity, and your insight. Raising his voice above the applause, Evermore said, Your aides are waiting in the lobby with your first assignment. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to send them to me directly. He pushed the crayons back into his pockets and fumbled with the remote, until all of their omnis chirped the soothing string of notes, celebrating their reconnection with Cloud Nine. Everyone reflexively looked down at their screens, and by the time they looked up, Evermore and Samuel had walked to the elevator. A few of the doctors tried to follow him in, but Samuel held out his hand in a gesture that was disproportionately threatening for his size. The crowd that formed around the elevator was merely interested in introductions and networking, but Ray anxiously waited for the doors to open. But I'm a synthetic bioengineer. What benefit could I possibly lend to transgalactic travel? She wondered. Was Dr. Kander right? Is Evermore just using me to build his brand? But the way he talked about the new generation... A shiver of excitement ran through her. I feel as if he sees our potential in a way Kander never will. Too bad I already decided to go back to Kander, she thought, laughing at herself for flip-flopping so quickly. She jammed her finger into the call button a third time and realized why it wasn't working. Time to make a friend. In the lobby, a group of young assistants looked expectantly in her direction, but Ashley was not among them. Hugo Voss said, It was a pleasure, Dr. Dahlia, as he walked away toward his assistant. I guess I'm waiting here if I ever want to see my lab. This has been Chapter 5 of The Mother of Dark Space by Tyler McNamara. Episode 6 of Earwig Serials was brought to you by Levitate Medical, providers of skeletal assist suits as worn by Asbjorn Brevik. Don't let that momentary accident prevent you from ever walking again. Levitate Medical can assist your return to normal life. With mobility options ranging from rolling, stand, or sit, gyro-assisted walking, and even stability in zero-g, Levitate Medical. We hold you up to stand tall. Thank you all so much for listening, and I'll catch you next week. Bye.